Girl. We are a weekly podcast for women who are curious about politics. My name is Carrie. And my name is Sky. And we are so excited to have on the show this week Robin Geigel. She is an attorney, she's an author, she's an activist. I'm it's a, such an interesting conversation, but she also has a book coming out this month. Um, called By Way of Sorrow, which is a legal thriller. (laughs) But it's not just a legal thriller because what makes it great is that it's hashtag own voices novel. So the main character is Erin McCabe. She's a criminal defense attorney and she's also transgender. And she ends up representing a transgender prostitute accused of murdering a politician's son. So not only is this a legal thriller, but it's also an intersection of race, politics, uh, LGBTQ issues, power, all those dynamics wrapped into one. So all the things, well, I'm really interested for folks to hear our conversation with Robin, because Robin is also a transgender woman who transitioned later in life. So it was so interesting to hear her perspectives on, you know, what her career was like and um, you know, all of the ways that life changes when you transition. It was really and also an the politics of being transgender, yeah. right? Because it unfortunately is something that may, perhaps has been over legislated, like um, laws right? restricting use of certain bathrooms. Like that mm-hmm. seems a little bit of an overreach. Why do we really need to make life right? harder for transgender people? But um, yeah, so it's just kind of interesting to hear. Um, and then also you, with your work with um, Equality Toledo to learn more um, about laws that infringe upon our transgender friends. So yep, very interesting stuff. Super cool. Also really excited. I ordered the book through right. our local women-owned bookstore. Today is International Women's Day. Holla. Holla. So that's pretty badass. Yeah. Let's jump into our interview with Robin. We want to welcome Robin Geigel to the show today. Robin is a lawyer. She is an LGBTQ rights ad- advocate, and she's a new author. Her book is coming out soon called By Way of Sorrow. It is a legal thriller, and it is a hashtag own voices novel, which she's going to share with us what that means um, shortly. But Robin, welcome to the show. Uh, will you just introduce us a little bit and maybe give us some background on um, your le- a little bit about your legal career and also your activism as well? Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here and, and to talk with both of you. So as you said, I am an attorney. I have been practicing law for more than 40 years. I'm a partner at the law firm of Block and Walrath in in Freehold, New Jersey. And um, I practice primarily employment law and commercial litigation. And I've done litigation for for my entire career. I've only been at Gluck Walrath for, oh, about five and a half years. Um, Before that, I was with a firm for about 30 years uh, in Livingston, New Jersey. And, And that's where I was when as the managing partner of that law firm, I transitioned um, because I am a transgender woman. And so that kind of led me to my activism within the LGBTQ community when I came out as a trans woman and went through the gender confirmation process. And so whenever I speak about myself as an activist, I always say, 
I use a small a because there are so many people um, in, in whatever you know, community you're dealing with. And in my case, it's the LGBTQ plus community, but you know, Black Lives Matters, um, you know, the immigrant community, um, so many communities whose there's people who devote their lives and careers to that kind of work. And to me, those people deserve the capital A when you say activist. Um, I'm someone who has a full-time job as a lawyer and uh, my activism is, is born out of who I am and what I experienced when I went through the gender confirmation process. And so I do what I can in my own little corner of the world, but I, I recognize that there are other people that do so much more. And finally, as you said, I am a new author. I have a book coming out on March 30th. It's called By Way of Sorrow. And it is a legal thriller. That's, that's a, a good way, a good little niche to, to describe it. And it's, so, also, it's also a own voices thriller. So what, can you tell us a little bit about what um, own voices means? Sure. So the main character in the novel is a criminal defense attorney whose name is Erin McCabe. And Erin also happens to be a transgender woman. And so to the extent that through Erin, I could speak to transgender issues and give voice to some of the things that, that transgender people face. That's kind of what it means by own voice, that, that I've experienced some of the things that, that Aaron has, and, and I can speak to those from, from that experience. By the same token, I always hasten to add, Aaron McCabe is not me. None of the characters in the book are people that I know. Um, I made it up. Uh, and, and Aaron was purposely designed, even though there are similarities in our lives, both of us being trans women, both of us being attorneys, and, and I have done a fair amount of criminal defense work throughout my career. But Aaron is, it was designed not to be me. She's much younger. I'm in my 60s. Aaron is in her 30s. Erin uh, is very attractive. And I'm not. Um, and Erin, um, you know, inhabits a little bit different world than I do. So while it's an own voice in the sense that I can speak to those issues, again, Erin is not me. Yeah. I love I love own voices though because I mean representation matters so much, and we often see. Um, some pushback in like the movie industry when um, white actors are portraying maybe like an Asian character or a straight actor is portraying a, a gay character. And then same in um, in the book industry as well. I remember uh, it was last year, the year before a book came out called American Dirt. And that also got some big pushback because it was written by a white female, but it was about like a Mexican immigration story. So um, I think it is, I think own voices is very important because um, it gives some value and some truth to um, what these characters, fictional characters in a lot of cases, um, what they're going through. So I, I really, that's, that's, I think very so important. So powerful. Yeah. And I'm very sensitive to that issue because one of the other main characters in the book is a 19 year old trans woman of color who happens also to be a sex worker. So I am sensitive to the fact that that's not me. That wasn't my journey through life. And so 
I, I wanted to make sure that I was authentic to her in the sense that I spoke to people and, and I, I tried to learn from other people, not necessarily sex workers, but you know, from, from trans women of color, what their experiences were like. And because those experiences, you know, for the most part are far different from me. And I, and I recognize that even though I am a trans person, you know, at the end of the day, I have one story and that's my story. And I have a story of privilege because, you know, I, I came of age, I was perceived by people to be a heterosexual white male and I have had those benefits growing up. And even when I went through the gender confirmation process, I was in my fifties, I had a successful career, I had a family and I didn't lose any of that when I went through the process. And that's so unusual for, for trans folks. Yeah. So many people lose their jobs, lose their family, you know, lose a lot of things in their lives. So I always want to be, you know, sensitive to the fact that when you speak for someone else that you try to do it authentically. And that's mm -hmm. why the main character is someone that, you know, I, I think I can be authentic to, but the other characters, you speak to people, you, you learn, you try to represent them fairly and accurately. I love that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I can't wait to read the book and to buy the book. We'll we'll link to all of those things for our readers. And I want to talk more about your activism and your career, but you are like you said in your 60s what and after a, you know, a, a significant career, what made you decide to turn to writing? What what motivated you to write a novel? Writing is something that I've always wanted to do, you know, always wanted to write a novel. I think I was probably around, oh, let's say 30, 32 when I started my first novel. I was, you know, already a lawyer practicing law, but always wanted to write a novel. Um, you know, back then there were no computers, the, you know, so I literally was writing on a yellow legal pad and, and, and trying to put together a novel. And I probably got about two thirds of the way through but number one, it, you know, life comes along. Um, you know, my wife and I had, you know, started a family. There were kids, there were, there was work, there were a lot of things. And so the novel went to the side and, and, you know, never got finished. And then after I went through the gender confirmation process, um, my wife and I separated. We're still the best of friends, but, you know, for, for reasons, you know, that, were probably fairly obvious. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, a, a tough situation. So we, we, we're going out to dinner tonight. So, um, you know, we're, we're still the best of friends, but we separated. Our kids were grown at that point. They were all adults. I was living on my own. And I was like, you know, maybe this is the time to go back to that dream that I had as a 30 something year old lawyer. And so I, I started a novel in, I guess probably 2010, 2011 and finished it and got an agent and we started trying to sell it. And in retrospect, fortunately it didn't sell. <laughs> um, and, and while we were going through that process, um, I have a son, my, my middle, my, you know, middle child, um, who's also a novelist. His name is Con Colin Geigel. He has a book out called the Perryman Institute. And, and, he said that one of the problems he had with my first book was that it was too much, the main character was too much me. Um, mm. 
not that you know the the situation that she was in was my situation, but the character was just too much of me. And he said, as a result, you couldn't approach that character objectively, and it doesn't ring true. And so when I sat down, you know, while we we're trying to sell that novel, um, I, I decided to try it, my hand at, at an, another book. And that's when I started By Way of Sorrow. And as I said, I mean, Erin has many similarities to me, but she's not me. And I got about a hundred pages in and I sent it to, to my agent and I said, you know, what do you think? I've been working on this. And she said, I'm gonna stop trying to sell the other one, finish this. This is the one that's gonna go. Cool. And she was right. And so, um, you know, I did finish it. And in December of 2018, it was acquired by Kensington Books. And um, interestingly enough, when, the, when they bought it, it, it's a two book deal. So there, there will be a second Erin McCabe novel. And writing, you know, Scott, answer your question, writing is just something that I really enjoy. It, to me, it's not a job. It's not yeah. like you come home and I go, oh, I have to write now. When I used to, you know, when we used to go to work as opposed to <laughs> right. remotely. Um, it, it's something that, you know, I, it just, it felt good. I enjoyed it. And, and creating characters and creating a world um, and getting to talk about issues that are important and, and telling a story. It, it was, it, it's great fun. I enjoy it. That's awesome. How exciting that you have something that you love that you can do, you know, after hours or between like during your lunch break. Yeah. That's, that's so great. Thank so you. the um, book is a legal thriller, but it does include an undercurrent of social issues, race, politics, power, just sort of like the intersection of any, everything um, to create, you know, a level of drama, I think. Um, but also very important topics. Why did you decide to incorporate all of this instead of just leaving it as a legal thriller? I wanted, look, I am who I am. I am an activist uh, and, and I have a point of view. So I wanted to write a book that was accessible to as broad an audience as, as I could, you know, so that the, the, you know, typical, you know, married couple sitting on the beach uh, in the summertime could pick up a book and say, oh, this is really exciting. It's interesting. It's, it's a cool story. And maybe a little subversively tell them, you know, educate people who are not trans or LGBTQ about people who are trans. And, and so there, there was that part of it. And, you know, having practiced law for 40 years, you see that the justice system isn't perfect and you see that power matters and that money matters. And all of those things go into, you know, that pot that we call the justice system. And so I wanted to explore those issues because it's not fair and it, it's particularly not fair to people who don't have resources, people of color, um, people who are, are considered the other, and, and I wanted to explore those issues in a way that was accessible to everyone and, and not poke people in the eye with it, but say, hey, here are these issues. They're real. Yes, this is a novel, but these issues are real. This, this is you know, stuff that happens to people in the system. Yeah, and I'm wondering that, I mean, based on your own experience as a transgender woman, 
could you even write a novel about a transgender woman without commenting on the politics and the power structure or what it's like to be a female in, in the legal field? You know, I, I wonder if that could have even been done. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think if, if you're writing a transgender character, no, that that has to be part of the character yeah. because it, it's part of, you know, your journey through life. It's got to be part of the character's journey through life. So it, it's impossible to do that. I don't think as an author, I have to write, you know, characters that are just trans. I mean, in the book, obviously, there's a lot of people who aren't transgender. Um, but, you know, when you do write a character, who is going to be transgender, you want them to be authentic. You want them to be real. And so those experiences that a lot of transgender people have, um, you know, it is important. And I, and I always like to point out that, you know, not every trans person's experience is, is the same. We all have our different journeys and, and we all get to, to be our, our authentic selves in our own way. And, and so at the end of the day, I was writing from my point of view, from my experiences, but they're not universal. And so right. it's always important that people understand just like all women's experience aren't universal um, and, and all immigrants, you know, experience aren't universal. All trans people's experiences aren't universal, but here are some issues that a lot of trans people do face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we've talked a lot on this show, especially over the summer, when we were seeing protests uh, around the country for Black Lives Matter and around the world about how to be a good ally to communities. Um, uh, and, and so I wanna talk a little bit about how to be a good ally to the LGBTQ plus community, especially the trans community. How can we um, be good allies? It's, I think it's the same thing. I think being a good ally is kind of universal in the sense that, you know, I, I have to learn how to be a good ally to, to people of color. I, I need to learn how to be a good ally to the immigrant community. You know, when you're not part of that community, you need to, to listen to them, but you don't, you know, to be an ally isn't to say, well, tell me, you know, what your experience is like. It's to to educate yourself, you know, to that experience, because somebody shouldn't have to explain to you what their life is like for you to say, oh, well, then I'll support you. It's, sure. I think it's the, the job of every ally to educate ourselves as to what those experiences are like and, and you know, do that by reading, observing, listening, speaking, befriending, uh, and doing all those things. And then being involved and being involved when nobody else is watching, that's right. always the hard part. You know, you're speaking to a friend and the friend says something, you know, a little off color joke or something like that. Are you going to speak up? Are you going to say something? That's hard. And, and we're all uncomfortable with that because, you know, this is a friend, okay. So maybe they said something that they shouldn't have. But if you're an ally, you know, you say something yeah. because, if, you know, and, and let's use a trans person since it's easy, if somebody made a trans joke and I was standing there, you'd be upset for me. And mm -hmm. so you might say something, but if I'm not standing there, will you still say something? Because that's a learning experience for the other person. And, and that's how we be good at, you know, we become good allies by, by learning, 
listening, and then you know, defending people, supporting them, going to their businesses, buying their books. Nope. I didn't mean it as a shameless plug. <laughs> no, yet. everybody uh, buy this book. We are going to do that for you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, supporting them and being there for them, you know, if there, if there are, you know, events planned around a particular community that, that you want to support and you want to be an ally to, you try to go to those events. And I know in the, in the middle of a pandemic, that's been really hard and people are afraid to do things for health reasons and those are real good reasons. But, you know, hopefully things will return to normal at some point and be there, be supportive. But as I said, the hard part is to be supportive when there's no one else around. Yeah. yeah. We talk a lot about that, about our own self-accountability and, and how to be good um, stewards of this, of these, th- you know, movements. Yeah. And how and it does take a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is hard yeah. and it takes work and time and patience and empathy. And so um, it's something and that humility, we really a little bit of, you know, self-criticism sometimes. Absolutely. A a lot of humility to to recognize how much we don't know and how much we have to learn and how, you know, when you look at some, you know, a group from the outside, you're bringing your own implicit biases and your own, you know, your own journey and you're viewing them through that lens. And that's not the, the lens that they've experienced life through. And yeah. so we have to recognize that, you know, again, like people of color, they've been dealing with these issues for hundreds of years. And now all of a sudden we're woke and we're, we're you know, we're good. And, and they're like, right. yeah, well, where you been for the last couple right? of years? Yeah. You know? Show up, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something I'm interested in too. You know, you, you've, you went through transition late in life. How has that affected your career? You have a pretty you know, you're deep into your career, you have connections, a network. Um, what was that like? How, how did it impact your professional and your personal life? As I said earlier, I was very fortunate. I've been very blessed. And again, I, I go back to my own sense of, of privilege that I was in a place in, in, you know, 2007, when I started to come out to people where I was the managing partner of the law firm I was at at the time, which meant I was the boss, yeah. so uh, here I was, the you know running a. At that point, we were nineteen lawyers and probably about twenty or so support staff, and I was coming out, and but I was doing it again. You know, I had built a career, I was established as a lawyer. I didn't face the same challenges of women of my generation faced when they started to practice law. You know, I didn't mm. get the honeys. And, and you know, when I interviewed for, for the firm I was working with at the time, you know, um, my wife and I had a, um, an 18 month old and, and she was seven months pregnant with our, our second child. And nobody said to me, well, how are you gonna do this job if you, you know, if you have two kids? I mean, no one thought to ask me those questions. And yet mm-hmm. women of my generation were asked those questions all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was pretty much fully formed as a lawyer in 2007, 2008, when I started to come out. And again, I, I don't wanna make it sound like everything was perfect and, and rosy and everything else. I lost friends, I lost business, but 
you know, I kept my job, I kept my career. I, I continued as managing partner of the firm. And, and, you know, I think in a way it, it was such a relief to finally be who I had known I always was. I mean, I've known since three or four that I didn't have a word for it, but I was supposed to be a girl, just like my sisters. I couldn't tell you why, but I knew it. And, yeah. and to finally be there, it gave me such peace of mind. I, I'd like to think it made me a better lawyer. Cool. I mean, and that like, just like you said, everybody's story is different and everybody's experience is valid. It's, you know, it's your own. It doesn't diminish your experience or your, you know, identity because it was not horrifying, you know, <laughs> like that right. is um, so and, powerful. And I think, you know, having, you know, having been fully formed as a lawyer when I did this, I think I was pretty much immune to, you know, the, the slings and arrows that, you know, you know, male colleagues can throw at female attorneys uh, because, you know, what are you going to say to me? I'm like, I've been practicing law for 30 plus years, you know, sure. I know I'm a lawyer. I know I'm a decent lawyer, you know, and, and you know, not everyone knew that I, I you know, had transitioned that I, I was not assigned female at birth. You know, I was in cases and people didn't know who I was. And so they just assumed I was a, a, you know, like any other woman lawyer of my generation. But sure. honestly, I wasn't because I had had a different experience. And so um, whether that experience was good, bad or indifferent, it shaped me in a way that, you know, again, I recognize is different from the women of my generation who had it much harder than I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a cool perspective. So what do, what can businesses do or law firms to promote diversity in their workforce and to give people who are transitioning a better work experience or make them feel more comfortable um, if they're not already a, a partner in a law firm or the boss? <laughs> I think it, it it's always tough to generalize, generalize because everybody's experience and everybody's desire in terms of how they want to go through the gender confirmation process is different. You know, some people might want to be very out and open and upfront about it. And other people want to be like, uh, can we send me to a different location so that nobody knows who I am? And, and so it, I think it's incumbent and of course, it just depends on the size of the company and the business and, you know, whether you're in big law, if you're in a, you know, Fortune 500 company or you're in a mom and pop business, all of those things add to the dynamics of, of how things should be handled. But generally, uh, going back to the, the first question in terms of a broad, you know, how can businesses be diverse? And, and obviously, it starts by who you recruit, what you do. Um, and diversity is great. But, you know, there's the diversity and inclusion and the inclusion part is the really key piece of it because you can hire a diverse workforce, but if you don't include them, if you don't listen to their voices, if you don't hear them, if, if you don't give them a seat at the table, well, they're just going to move on because, you know, well, why am I going to stay here if, if you're not listening to me? You know, diver diversity is important to any business because you get those different voices, you get those different perspectives and people have those different journeys through life and they can add different voices to, to what, whatever 
business you are and whatever you're doing. So I think, you know, you want to hire a diverse workforce. You want to look for, you know, people of color, women, you know, LGBTQ folks, you know, um, different ethnicities, different religions, all of those things, because we all bring those different journeys to the table that will help the business in the long run. But if you don't include those people, if you just hire them and you don't listen yeah. to them, yeah. hey, you, you're not going to be, you know, you're not fulfilling what diversity can truly bring. And so, you know, again, to a business that that's trying to accommodate someone who's going through, you know, the, the gender confirmation process, listen. As I said, you know, diversity and inclusion, when you include somebody, you listen to them and you listen to what they want to do, how they want to do it. And if it fits within your business model, if it's not some outrageous plan that they have, then you try to incorporate that because you're going to make them more comfortable. And as a result, they're going to be a more productive employee. And as I said, when I, you know, was able to come back to work and, and, and be Robin, I felt like I became a better lawyer. And so if you allow your employees to be their authentic selves, you're going to have a happier and, and more productive workforce. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Absolutely. And like you said, you, you know, you were, you felt like you were a better lawyer because you were able to truly live your authentic life and your authentic self. I'm on the board locally of a group called Equality Toledo, and we do education and advocacy around LGBTQ issues in the region. And, and some of the, the things that we do, um, include trying to advocate for, um, LGBTQ protections in employment and housing, which I think a, a lot of folks don't realize those protections are not available to, to the LGBTQ community. Um, so that is, I think, an important way folks can get involved, um, you know, at the local level is trying to make sure we have our Toledo City Council pass protections locally. We're trying to get the suburbs to do the same thing, but we're coming out of an administration that was not friendly to this community. Um, we've, we've talked about it a little bit and, you know, obviously we've got issues, girl is it, we talk politics. So how, how can we make sure that, that the trans community, that the LGBTQ plus community is, um, is taken into consideration in, in all that we do moving forward? Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right, Sky, that elections matter and, and um, you know, policies matter. It's interesting that the, the House of Representatives just passed the Equality Act, which would amend the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, because as a result of the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, you know, LGBTQ folks now do have protection under Title VII for their employment rights. And so you can no longer be fired in this country for being gay or being trans, which in 28 states, up until June of 2020, you Crazy. could be. And so that was a huge step when the Supreme Court decided that. And as I said, the House just passed the Equality Act, which would address public accommodation issues and housing issues, um, whether it'll get through the Senate, who knows. But, um, you know, there, there's 28 states that don't provide protections to LGBTQ folks in places of public accommodation and housing and, and things of that nature. So it's, it's grassroots in terms of 
great for Toledo, but now you got to branch out and, and do yeah. all of Ohio, right? Yeah. Um, and and that's a tough sell because look, Ohio has become a, a, a more and more conservative state uh, in terms of its election patterns. And so, you know, it becomes, can we, you know, kind of stop demonizing people and say, why would we want somebody to be homeless just because they're gay or just yeah. because they're a lesbian? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense from just a human standpoint. No. Uh, whether or not you're supportive, you know, and think whatever you think in terms of your religion or your politics about, you know, people who are LGBTQ, why do I want them homeless? Why do I want them to suffer? And yeah. so just from a, a, a humanistic standpoint, you know, I think we need to do better. And I think you're going to see the current administration, um, you know, already have in, in a lot of ways, you know, President Biden ha has, you know, removed the transgender military ban. Um, the Department of Justice withdrew its support for a couple of cases around the country um, that were dealing with LGBTQ issues. So I think we're going to see a change. I think you're going to see um, various administrative agencies like HUD and, and you know, um, Department of Labor and, and you know, Department of Education and those entities, you're going to see them kind of revert back to the Obama administration's positions on what, you know, protections are afforded to LGBTQ folks um, by various administrative regulations and by various statutes in terms of how you interpret them. So I think, you know, we're, we're heading in the right direction again. Um, yeah, yeah. If you had told me in 2016, we would have had the hiccups that we did. Um, I would have been, I think, surprised because I, I thought we were on the right track in 2016. Um, but we, we had what we had. And, and hopefully now we can start recognizing that, you know, LGBTQ folks don't want anything special. They, they're not looking to be treated better than anybody else. We're just looking to be treated equally and, and humanely. Yeah. That's great. Perfect. So, man, your book is like, it's soon. It's this yeah. month. I can't believe, first of all, I can't believe it's March. What the heck? I know. But, um, <laughs> so what, I'm super excited to buy the book. We've got um, listeners, I'm sure, who will, yes, look at that. It's real. Um <laughs> What do you want people to take away from this experience after they're finished reading the book? And when can we expect the next one? Okay. So this one is, as I said earlier, it comes out March 30th. Um, and I always tell people, you know, if you're interested in, in getting it, obviously it's on all the major platforms, Amazon, you know, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera. But I always ask people, you know, you go to my web website, robingeigel.com. There's a link for IndieBound which um, will take you to your independent, local independent bookstores. And I, you know, I love small independent bookstores. I, I inhabited those as a kid, I loved them. Um, and so I always encourage people to do that. Um, and, um, you know, uh, hopefully what I want people to take away is, wow, this was a fascinating story. It's a thriller. It had me on the edge of my seat. Um, I couldn't put it down. And I think I learned something. 
And, and you know, that was kind of the goal to, to write a book that people could really enjoy. You know, I don't want to compare myself to Grisham or Scott Turow or anyone else, but just an exciting book that people could, you know, say, wow, ooh, what's going to happen next? <laughs> and at the same time, oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. You know, why, why should someone who's trans have to go through that? So that's what I hope is the takeaway. And as to your last question, as I said, you know, I was fortunate that when Kensington bought it, it was a two book deal. So there will be a second Aaron McCabe novel. It's in the editorial process now. I finished writing it. Oh. Um, and the current expected pub date is January 25th of 2022. Oh my gosh, right. congrats, that's so cool. Good, that's good, because I I mean, I'm not too far into it, but Erin McCabe is a great character and I would love to see her get, you know, like a series. I think yeah. she deserves that. Thank you. I love it. Well, she's got a book too. There she is, yeah. Be, uh, book three depends on how one and two do, so. Awesome. I love it. I'm so excited. Thank you, Robin, so much for talking to us today. I'm super pumped to, you know, have our readers get to know our listeners, uh, get to know you and, and become your readers. Yes. Um, any sort of like action items. We usually ask folks to give, give our listeners like an, an action item at the end of the show. I guess, you know, I, I would hope that people, and again, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic and, and, you know, it's tough to do things, but I hope that when we come out of this, that, you know, all of us will have used this time where we've had time to reflect, um, to do more for those communities that are less fortunate than, than certainly than I am and that other people are. So my action item would be get involved, help those that, that need help and, and be a, be a good neighbor, be a good citizen. And you, you don't have to do it on a grand scale. Just be, be helpful to the people closest to you, your neighborhood, your, your community. And that would be my action item. Awesome. I love it. Thank and you. And how so can much. folks find you on social media? So as I said, my website is robingeigel.com, which I know is not social media. I am not a social media person, so you're not going to find me on Facebook. Um, but you can find me at Twitter, at Robin Geigel. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, I'm of the generation that, you know, if, if I send out a tweet, you know, once a week, it's been a busy week for me, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I can't wait. We'll get all of that info out to our, our listeners. Thank you again, Robin, so much for being with us. Yeah, Scott, thank, Harry, you. thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Robin for being with us this week. It was such a powerful conversation. Folks, you can check back in with us next week. We will be back on Monday. Sorry for the technical difficulties this week, but We'll be back next Monday with a brand new episode of We've Got Issues, Girl. Uh, this has been a Girls Girls Media production. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Um, you can pick up Robin's book at any local bookstore. If you go to her website, robingeigel.com, R-O-B-Y-N-G-I-G-L.com, um, you can click on, I believe one of the links is called indiebooks.com org or indie bound and you can find your local bookstore and order it through them so that's so a good. great way to do it yes 
Don't order on Amazon. Stop giving Jeff Bezos <laughs> your money. Jeff Bezos does not need any of our money. We made him a quadruple bajillionaire. This we need some of his money. We need to start taxing him. Let's do that. Yeah. So, cheers, everybody. We will see you next week. We love you. Goodbye.